Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Vampire. <laughs> and my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Oh. <laughs> oh God! Oh. Bailey, hey. what, what strikes me is that that number just doesn't go down. It has been going between one thirty-eight and one thirty-nine for the past ooh two months or so. Mm, mm. Mm, mm. Seems like no mm, there's a solution, mm, but we won't say it. <laughs> well, spooky Halloween, everyone! <laughs> oh, a spooky Halloween to you too. Trying to dodge your shame. You know, <laughs> you know people say Happy Halloween. <laughs> Spooky. It's much more fun. I'm on board. Deeply terrifying Halloween. <laughs> Speaking of things that start with S, do you have any shame, Bailey? You guys are really on me about this. I actually, I do not have any shame. Oh, man. I thought Andrew knew something I didn't. No. I have shame. You? Whoa. Oh, see, I see now. Mm, Trying to turn yes, it around that's on why me. It was on my mind. Yes. I bought a graphic. It's not even a graphic novel. It's just a comic. You know, when they collect them into those little volumes. Yes. I don't know if anyone is familiar with the graphic novel or the comic uh, Headlopper by Andrew McLeod. He also wrote Apocalyptic Girl, that which I think was okay. quite popular. You guys heard of that one? Yep. Yeah, that uh, name rings no, a bell. But... Thanks, Dylan and Andrew. Um, yes. Uh, oh, so much fun. It's about a gigantic, like, Norse-looking dude who never wears a shirt, and he's, like, face, you can't even see it because he has a giant white beard, and he beheads all of his enemies, and he carries around uh, the head of this witch who he beheaded, and then she just didn't die, so she's, like, grumpy and sassy, <laughs> and they have adventures. It's like Mad Max, but in fantasy world, and he cuts people's heads off. That might be tough for me just because it's hard to see something so close to your own life represented on yeah. in like a medium like that. I read graphic novels to escape reality. <laughs> Dylan, if you could put a shirt on, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Dylan, if you could put that head down, that'd be really great. <laughs> yeah, he captured the voice of the witch really well. Oh, good work. Um, okay, so shame. Yeah, shame, shame. Andrew, you don't have any shame. No. <laughs> no shame. All right, guys. Since it's spooky Halloween, Ooh. what what, whoa. Whoa, what have been your favorite or your nerdiest or your most memorable costumes that you've gone as for Halloween? D'Artagnan from The Three Musketeers when I was a child. Oh. It's cute that I thought he was the cool one. Mm-hmm. What an idiot. <laughs> Jeez. And I am speaking about the adaptation featuring Kiefer Sutherland. Who played Portho in that one? Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt. Thank you, Dylan. Please what, don't do that. What about you, Andrew? I did Harry Potter a lot in college because it was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, the probably weirdest choice I ever made was going as a grown-up member of the Sandlot. Um, mm. <laughs> Which was basically just me dressing up like I would normally dress up, but drawing on some tattoos that were like R.I.P. the Beast and like Sandlot Forever. (laughs) (laughs) I had like 10 minutes to prepare for this Halloween party. That's what I did. Did you even have a baseball mitt? Yeah, I had a mitt and a backwards hat. Yeah. yeah. Though my favorite was when I was still uh, working as a line cook, I dressed up as Gene from What Hot American Summer, the cook. Um, Mm. And I was working that day, so I just I worked a whole shift. As Gene at this restaurant in Brooklyn, which was a lot of fun. Did you? So you acted like him? Did you like talk to a soup can and stuff? Yeah, I had a. Well, it wasn't. It's a mixed vegetable can, Bailey. But yes, I talked oh, to a sorry. mixed vegetable can. <laughs> That's awesome. I did have to shave my armpits for this. Oh. Because you can't have like you can only have exposed armpits under serving law if they're shaved. Interesting. Ooh. Well, when I was a kid, me and my friends decided that we would go dressed as the four elements. <laughs> 
but we there were five of us, so we made up a fifth element. <laughs> Lilu? No, it was like Bruce Willis. Time or love? something. Aww. Aww. Um, but I went as air, and our costumes <laughs> consisted of just like shiny fabric we found at Joanne's Fabrics, just like a bolt of fabric that we'd wrap around ourselves. So you just were like colorful burritos. Yeah. and <laughs> With one extra flavor that no one knows about. It's one of those things that you think is a great idea when you're planning it, and then when you're going around and knocking on people's doors, and they're like, what are you? What are you? So you just had like a, you just had like a clearish wrap? I'm yep. trying to imagine. Or maybe blue. No, it was, it was yeah. clear. And someone was just like in like the poo-poo brown wrap? <laughs> I think it was green. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, that was a pretty nerdy costume. Last year, Dylan and I went as Paddington and Knuckles McGinty from Paddington 2. That was a great costume. Thank you. I like how you guys have said a semi-embarrassing one from your childhood, and then both of you have followed up with something really cool that you did later on. Well, I said nerdiest or most memorable. If we're we're doing, like, memorable ones, me and my wife uh, did, like, Day of the Dead skeletons one time. We did, like, the whole face paint and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoy it because we, like, painted, we bought, like, black long sleeve shirts and black sweats and painted like rib cages and leg bones and all that kind of stuff on it and i still have those sweats everything else is gone but that we used house paint so <laughs> it has never washed off so now i just have a dope pair of sweats that like have like leg bones on them and i use them all the time it's i fun. think she your wife does too yeah yeah follow-up question tell us about the evil bananas there was a a couple years ago uh louise and i and our friend kenzie wanted to go to the WeHo. Uh, that's West Hollywood for all y'all. Uh, the West Hollywood um, Halloween Parade, which is a big event. It's real fun. Um, and we wanted to go in costume, and I bought what I thought were dynamite costumes for me and Louise, which were um, giant banana suits. Um, they were really great. Uh, I thought they were hilarious, but then I brought them home, and Louise was upset because she said, in England, uh, you only dress up as scary things, which is patently untrue. I have <laughs> been in England before I've seen people wearing non-scary costumes so she was just being picky uh but then I decided I just decided we were going to be evil bananas bananas with malicious intent well and you had I don't know if you bought them or Louise bought them but they were like cut off ears on a necklace that you wore over the banana suit yeah it was like a prop like a Halloween prop you could buy that were like you know like zombie props and yeah it was like a necklace of ears so we both had a necklace of ears it was very strange (laughs) but most people didn't see it but my favorite moment of the night is we kept seeing other people in banana costumes because it was a pretty popular one so we'd like say banana like it'd be really happy and then at the end of the night the parade was over people were kind of going home and i saw like three people at once in a banana costume and i was like oh wow there's so many of us and then i saw a guy in a gorilla costume (gasps) and we got to take some fun pictures it was really fun but we foolishly approached the, the gorilla and offered ourselves to him. Bananas are always doing that. It's the way of nature. <laughs> <laughs> so, for our spooky Halloween, we have two scary spooky books. Um, this is not going to get old. Toby, <laughs> what book did you read? I read The Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker. Barker! This is the greatest show! Nope. We went different directions there, Bailey. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's my logline. It's a long one because the book is long and complicated. Clive Barker's The Great and Secret Show is a dark story about the struggle between two artificially evolved beings. One of them who is attempting to reach the literal, physical location of the collective unconscious of the world, and the other who is trying to stop him at any cost. As these beings battle, 
the normal human residence of Palomo Grove, a fictional Southern California town placed roughly in the same location as the real Simi Valley, are pulled into their war, willing or not. This doesn't sound scary. Uh, well, I'll continue with my review. Okay. Um, it is scary. That's not one of its problems. Okay. Um, Ooh, problems. One of its. I'm going to spill the beans <laughs> up top, and I'm going to say I strongly dislike this book. Ooh. Ooh, so scary. I will reveal at the end how much I disliked it, but I strongly disliked it. Um, and as I've said before, I don't love criticizing stuff. You know, it feels like like talking smack about someone who's not in the room. So first I'm going to go into a little bit of background about my experience with Clive Barker before this book. Constructive criticism. Compliment sandwich. <laughs> um, so Clive Barker um, is not a household name, I would say, but he's almost famous. He's almost there. Um, he rose to prominence um, in the late 80s and 90s, uh, especially because Stephen King noticed him. He released a series of collections of short stories that he titled Books of Blood. And there were three volumes in the Books of Blood series. Um, and some at some point during their publication, Stephen King released this quote, which was, I have seen the future of horror, and his name is Clive Barker. Yeah, no, just uh, stepping on my research here, huh? Okay. Oh, yeah, cool, I cool, knew cool. I was going to. I knew I was going to be. But this is stuff that I already knew. This is how I, this is how I found Clive Barker. Yeah, so yeah, I, no, that's you cool. know. That's cool. <laughs> I think at the time when he had just released these books and nothing else, there was this buzz. Like, they were so good that people were like, oh, here we go. Like, step down Stephen King. This guy has a new approach. I picked up the Books of Blood, and I loved them. They're all short stories. They are scarier on average than stuff I've read by Stephen King. Their prose is better written on average than stuff I've read by Stephen King. Um, and they kind of cross these lines that Stephen King, he's, Stephen King could be very disgusting and scary. Um, but I don't know, Clive Barker goes, goes for it even more. It's really unpleasant stuff, but in a good way, in like a way that feels intentional. And in, in the best stories, it feels transgressive. Um, in an interesting way, a way with a purpose, with things to say. Um, and, and he just gets so much more bizarre than Stephen King. So I read those, and I was like, Clive Barker is great. I'm just putting this out there because I'm about to... You're just stalling the inevitable. I'm, just, I'm putting this out there because I respect the man. He's made good work. I hated this book. <laughs> it is scary how much I hated this book. He doesn't, he doesn't make any likable characters. He doesn't create anybody for you to root for. It's just awful people that you're forced to trudge through this super long book with, and it is unendurable. There's not one person to root for, with the possible exception of one female, uh, one female character named Tesla, uh, and her likability is undercut because uh, in the first half of the book, she has the horrifically bad plotline of she's like this beautiful, intelligent woman who's like madly in love with this crappy journalist guy who has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, mm. and it's just totally unbelievable. And this is one. This is one of the other things about the book that is more personal taste. I don't think this is like you can say it's an objective criticism, but this is personal taste for me. It's way too complicated. And it, and it thinks that it's it's simultaneously too complicated and not interesting enough. Like I'm, I'm very into uh, books with complicated premises that want you to follow along at your own pace if they have the depth for you to follow along. 
like the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov is a really cool concept and idea, and it requires you to do a lot of mental thinking as you're reading and be like, okay, okay, I'm following them here, and then they do these big leaps, and that's rewarding because the idea has so much depth behind it. This does not, but it keeps pretending like it does. So to even give you a brief idea of what this book is like, um, it's centered around the conflict between two characters named Fletcher and the Jaff. Sorry, can you say um, that one more time? The Jaff? The Jaff. J-A-F-F? J-A-F-F-E. Oh. The Jaff. Jaffa cake. Uh, well, it's weird because the... The <laughs> yeah, it, and the Jaff. It, it sounds to me like a cowboy show. Yeah, when you describe it like that, it totally does, but it's not. A cowboy show would have been more fun. Mm. Um, so they're both men who have consumed this semi-magical substance called the Nuncio. That speeds up evolution, which doesn't make any sense because evolution is not like a process that's like heading someplace to like make us into into demigods, which is basically what it makes them into. But they take this substance, they become like sort of gods, um, and the Jaff is interested in doing this because he wants to get to a place called Quiddity. And Quiddity, which is like I think a play on the word liquidity because mm-hmm. it's a sea, but it's like a sea of our collective unconscious, like uh, based on Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. So it's like all the dreams and unconscious thinking and feeling of humanity collected in one place. And you're supposed to visit it three times, like when you are born, when you die, and then the first night you sleep next to someone you love. These, like you can, you're already getting a sense of like the bizarre rules that don't really make any sense, and they're like sentimental in some ways, but they're also really cynical and crappy in other ways. Anyway, the Jaff wants to get there. He wants to ruin it. Um, and Fletcher, uh, so the Jaff is the is the evil bad guy, and Fletcher is supposed to be the guy we're rooting for, right? Mm-hmm. Such classic Jaff. <laughs> classic Jaff. But the 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 kind of the way you can illustrate the problem with the book is that the Jaff is an evil character. He's scary, he has horrible motivations, he's a bad person, but Fletcher is not any good either. At best, he's distracted and uncaring about other people, and at worst, he's judgmental, cruel, and just angry at everyone. There's this whole sequence where he has like a son that he rejects over and over again. It's just like, this is the person who's supposed to be the force for good in this book. He's supposed to be the one fighting against the Jaff. Um, and he's awful. And that kind of poorly drawn and also unlikable character is everybody in the book. I don't think I need a likable character, but they have to be well done. Like yeah. in the show Succession, none of those characters are likable, but it's dynamic to watch because they're that's a well good, portrayed. That's a good point because I think I'm using, I'm being too flexible with the term likable. Mm-hmm. I mean likable as in enjoyable in any way. Okay. So Humbert Humbert is yeah. not likable, mm-hmm. but he's certainly enjoyable to read about. Like he, engaging, captivating. Engaging, like compelling. Yeah, interesting, compelling, yeah. 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 Like good or bad, no one in this book is interesting. They're all either poorly drawn cartoons mm-hmm. or so terrible, but terrible in like a benign, boring way. Um, so just real quick, I do want to say there are there are elements of this book that I did enjoy. 
Um, it starts out with a kind of, it feels like a story from Books of Blood, um, the kind of how the Jaff becomes the Jaff. He starts out as a normal person, and he's working in the dead letter room um, in the in a U.S. post office, and he kind of pieces together. Is his name Jaff, and he just turns into a guy named the Jaff? Uh, his name is Randolph Jaff, <laughs> and then he just becomes the Jaff. All right, this is things that I like, all right? Things that I like. Uh, he... <laughs> So he starts out, it's it's a cool, creepy short story. He discovers these, like, through the dead letters, uh, he discovers that, like, people are writing each other about this secret of, like, the art and quiddity, and he pieces it all together, and it's quite creepy and scary, and honestly, it felt like a great Books of Blood short story. It just kept going on from there. I also did enjoy um, the kind of method uh, by which Fletcher and the Jaff uh, battle each other. Once they take the nuncio, uh, they kind of gain these powers that are related to their personalities. So the Jaff is able to like pull people's like nightmares and bad thoughts out of them and give them form in these like disgusting monsters that he can sick on people. And uh, Randolph can, it's like less clear what he can do. I think he pulls like people's dreams or fantasies out of them. Um, but in this town, it mostly translates into people having, like, characters from soap operas they like grow in their houses. Oh. Anyway, it's an imaginative thing. Um, so that's a cool, I like that kind of, like, aspect of their powers. And I thought that was nice. There are also parts of Books of Blood and many Stephen King books and horror books in general that are really unpleasant, that are, like, gross or transgressive, make you feel uncomfortable or scared. Um, but in the best kind of horror books... Those are there for a purpose, and they might be commenting on society, or they might just be really cleverly done. Uh, and in this, they are simply gross. One star. This is my oh. first one star book. That all being said, I'm interested. If you're a person who likes this book, reach out to us. I want to hear. Uh, I'd be interested because I think there probably is a lot of this stuff is personal taste. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of art is subjective. So, I don't know. If you have something interesting to say, email us. All right. Well, now that we got through our first one-star review. One star. Andrew, do you have any spooky facts? Or just, like, uh, non-scary facts. I mean, he kind of has a scary life. Ooh. He's an interesting person. Yeah, no. Because I have not read any of his work... Clive, I'm your friend on this podcast. Whether or not Toby is, we don't know. <laughs> I'm so, your friend. I liked, I've read many of your books and enjoyed them. All right, them. Toby, nope, you've nope. had your time to insult our friend Clive. And The Thief of Always is good, too. <laughs> All right, so Clive Barker was born on October 5th, 1952 in Liverpool, England. He stayed in Liverpool through university. When he was three years old, he saw a skydiver, Leo Valentin, fall to his death during a performance, an event which has made its way into several of his stories. And also, not a great start for a three-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah. He began publishing work in the mid-80s, starting with the short story collections The Books of Blood. Uh, he went on to write The Hellbound Heart, which was the first in the Hellraiser series, which were popularized by the film adaptations, which he directed and wrote at least the first one. He then had some part in the subsequent ones, not always directing, though. He also wrote the original Candyman film. He describes this period of his writing as hardcore horror. He said that The Great and Secret Show was a departure from that. Uh, in an interview with Good Morning America in 1989, he said it was a departure from strong visceral stuff to something more fantastical and imaginative. Clive Barker came out in 1990 uh, and currently lives in California with his partner, Johnny Ray Raymond Jr. 
and I didn't stutter there. It is Johnny Ray Raymond Jr. Um, he's also a prolific visual artist and having some of his work shown in galleries as well as providing illustration to some of the comics he's written. Most recently, a TV adaptation uh, led by Owen King, son of Stephen King, of The Great and Secret Show was announced, though no cast or release date has been set, so I don't know if it'll actually happen. I'm gonna watch it if it comes out. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know that it'll happen, but it has at least been uh, started Andrew, to be you developed. Promised. Did not. I specifically did not. <laughs> you promised. You're a member. You're an adult member of the Sandlot, and you promised me. <laughs> uh, and then one sort of fun thing: approximately 150 artworks by Barker were used in the Netflix show *The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina*. They show up in the background of a scene in the first season. No way! I love Whoa. that show. I've probably seen them then. Yeah. Excellent facts, Andrew. Good job. Good job, Andrew. Thank you. This ah. week I had a book to read off my shelf. You, you can't clap, do this the whole time. Clap, 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 clap. It clap. was Dracula <laughs> by Bram Stoker. This is Stoker. probably insufferable for so many people. <laughs> Should I keep going? I know. Really no, absolutely it. not. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So I had Dracula by Bram Stoker this week. Very spooky. Um, First of all, I want to talk a little bit about the copy of my book. Admire. It is a, that is a really nice edition of Dracula. <laughs> I can do it too. It's like, I'll put a picture on Instagram. It's this blood red cover. And then they have this beautiful paper inside that looks almost like blood. And it has one of those like ribbon bookmarks. Black pages. And black pages. It's a Barnes and Noble edition. Um, when Dylan and I first started dating, for my first birthday I celebrated with Dylan, he got me a collection of Barnes & Noble classics, and this was in it. So that's how I got this book. Nice. Thanks, Dylan. How romantic. <laughs> <laughs> do, you rem- do you remember giving me, me this book? Totally. I'm going to just say, let's, uh, let's, let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I know that you read this book this week, too. I did. I also read this book. It was on my to-read list, and I didn't want to wait for it to be randomly drawn and have us do the same book twice, so I uh, hopped on the old Drac bandwagon. The Brom wagon. Get it? Because it's Brom Stoker. All right, well, I will share my review, and then I'm really curious to hear what you thought. This book was published in 1897, so it's one of the oldest books on the to-read list. But, you know, it really holds up. My copy is 400 pages. It's pretty long. But I found it to be incredibly engaging, and I think it started a lot of, I don't know if it started a lot of genre tropes or it just uses them really well, but there's a lot of aspects to the book that I found really fun and really sort of campy horror staples, like the idea of like assembling a team to take down a monster felt very modern, and it was cool that it took place, you know, in the 19th century. My understanding is that people in general had an understanding about vampires, but they didn't have a lot of the rules, quote unquote, of how you defeat a vampire or what powers they have. And it seemed like Stoker was kind of making that up and creating this cool mythology, which I thought was interesting. But when you read it as a modern, a modern day person, what I think is supposed to be suspenseful and mysterious is kind of like a dramatic irony where it's like, well, clearly this is a vampire. It's a vampire. It's a vampire. They're like, hmm, he turns into a bat. What, what could this mean? What could this mean? They keep having these holes in their neck. Ah. 
Um, I realize I didn't give a logline for Dracula, but I feel like people know what Dracula is. It's about a spooky guy who lives in Transylvania, Count Dracula. Um, <laughs> a spooky guy. Spooky guy. We've all seen the movie, read the play, or seen the breakfast cereal. He yeah. loves chocolate. He employs a lawyer to help him <laughs> rent an abbey in England <laughs> and <laughs> transport all of his possessions, which is essentially a bunch of coffins filled with earth. Totally normal. Everybody's like, this is totally normal. Transport them to England. And when he arrives in England, guys, people start dying. Mm. Weird. Well, it's unrelated, I think. Unrelated, totally unrelated. Yeah. This is what I mean sort of about the dramatic irony. There's a number of scenes of, of characters who go to sleep and they wake up and they're like, oh, I feel very tired and pale, almost like the blood has been drained out of me. And like, oh, we'll give you a blood transfusion. You'll be fine. And the next day they're like, you need another transfusion? What have you done? Do they just, uh, so I read this book a long time ago. I don't remember any details. They say, I'm tired and pale. And they're like, oh, cool, blood transfusion. Like, just like. Out of no, like, I feel like I'd be like, I'm tired and pale. They'd be like, take a walk. <laughs> it's Drink one some water. character. They only start doing that once the like, once Van Helsing, the sort of expert, shows up. They don't. Mm-hmm. It's not like everybody's immediate motivation to give mm-hmm. him or her blood transfusion. Also, not really how blood transfusions work, guys. But. Brown, I, I understand I that you probably represented how it was at the time. If they didn't know that she had had this blood sucked out of her, be like, we'll just put some extra blood in you. Yeah, sure. It seems like you need extra blood. But what's funny is that it this one character, Lucy, is the one that needs the blood transfusions over and over in the beginning. And they're like... Pfft three or four men who are in love with her and they mm. all offer their blood and then Van Helsing gives her blood and it's like, guys, this is not the way to show your love. And like, oh, my blood will be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the way it works. Um, my blood smells like strawberries. You should get that checked out, man. One other thing that's fun about this novel that I thought was modern was that it's an epistolary novel. It's told via journal entries, letters, and articles from different perspectives of the different characters. Like Van Helsing will have a chapter... Harker will have a chapter, Mina will have a chapter. They'll keep switching. It also broke it up into short chapters, um, which made it easy to digest. I also liked the drama. <laughs> so I'm a, I have a quote to represent the drama of Count Dracula. Bailey's all Count about the drama. Count Dracula. He's very extra. <laughs> okay, so the scene is, this is page 27 early on. Harker, the um, lawyer, has come to Castle Dracula. First of all, this dude needs the gift of fear. He comes in. This place is totally destroyed, covered in cobwebs. Everybody in town is like, don't go there. And he's like, "Mm, I'm going to go. They're like, okay, if you go, take this crucifix. He's like, "Mm, okay, I can do it. Anyway, totally acts totally normal. He gets there. He cuts himself while shaving. Dracula is like, ooh. (laughs) I just want to say right now, I want to see a remake of Dracula starring Bailey. (laughs) Ooh. Um, Can I pet your cat? Should I do this in the accent or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this only Dracula's part. (laughs) Okay. So this this is Dracula talking. I think we'll be able to tell it's Dracula. Okay. You're right. right. (laughs) Take care, he said. Take care how you cut yourself. It is more dangerous than you think in this country. Then, seizing the shaving glass, he went on. Shaving glass being a mirror. And this is the wretched thing that has done the mischief. It is a foul bauble of man's vanity. Away with it! And opening the window with one wrench of his terrible hand, he flung out the glass, which was shattered into a thousand pieces on the stones of the courtyard far below. Then he withdrew without a word. 
It is very annoying, for I do not see how I am to shave unless in my watch case or in the bottom of the shaving pot, which is fortunately of metal. <laughs> I just think so yeah. dramatic just to come in and be like, oh, this mirror, get away with, away with it. A bubble of man's vanity. <laughs> this yeah. just brings me no joy. <laughs> not to spoil my little mini review at the end, but I also really liked it. And my favorite part was the first chapter where Harker is completely oblivious. Cause oh, like, he's so dumb. He, he's like complaining about his trip. He's like, oh, the train was late from Budapest. <laughs> Because these people were, and I almost didn't make the next one because they were throwing their crucifixes at me and telling me not to go. Well, (laughs) (laughs) this hospitality here is awful. (laughs) Dylan and I went to, we, um, our local movie theater was doing old movies for Halloween and we went to see the Bela Lugosi Dracula last night and they do the opening really well especially the part where Harker gets into this carriage that goes to Castle Dracula and the carriage is going really fast and he's looking out and he's like who's driving this carriage slow down and it's just this bat and he's like (laughs) (laughs) he's like I guess this is normal (laughs) oh man so so I, I liked the drama of it I thought it was campy and fun I, at the time it was probably more scary yeah. or mysterious but I, I found it to be really fun I also thought it was interesting I don't know if you picked up on this Andrew that like at first I was like is this book a little bit misogynistic there, it's mostly male characters except for a, a series of you know female victims um, one of them being Harker's wife Mina and at first all the characters were like Mina 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 we hear what you're saying but like clearly you're crazy like you you have to stay out of danger. You stay here. We're all going to go fight Dracula. You stay here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then as she's staying there, <laughs> Dracula visits her and sucks her blood. And they're like, what's going on? And that was annoying. And then Stoker kind of plays with that a little bit because then Mina gets to ha- be a, have a bigger role later because they underestimate her. Cool. Yeah, no, I definitely had that reaction. I through the first part of the book, I was like, okay, we're just yeah. This it's a book of the late 1800s. There's going to be some inherent misogyny in it. Like I'm sure there is some of that in there, but he definitely does play with the expectations and and give Mina more of a chance to shine than I think many contemporary authors would. Yeah, exactly. There was a point when I was reading it where I was like. I thought this book was written in the 1800s, but maybe it was like the 1940s or something because it feels very modern. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, 1897. Wow. Yeah, it really held up. I liked it better than Frankenstein or, you know, similar. Better than Frankenstein, huh? Yep. Hmm. To me, this is between four and a five star. Oh, wow. I would say my only minor criticism is that towards the end, I think in the name of tension, it gets really caught up in logistics (laughs) where it's like, We've killed. We've it gotten really rid does. of. It really does. We've, we've gotten rid of twenty of the coffins, but we have to find one more coffin. And where could it be? Could it be by land? Could it be by sea? Could it be by train? And you're like, guys, I just want to be done with this book. Yeah. So that that was, I guess, what would make it four stars for me. But considering, you know, the time it was written and how it still holds up, four stars. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm legitimately surprised. I usually these old books you assume them to be like to be okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, my review is much the same. I was surprised at how much it held my attention, um, especially because yeah, with all the countless adaptations of Dracula there's been over the years, you kind of feel like well, you know the story and like it's going to be told more interesting in this movie I saw or something. Mm-hmm. But I was it was really fun to go to the source and like be really excited and not know what's going to happen. And I thought that it, it, it accomplished that feat of being a book from the 1800s that kind of clips along, which 
I was happy about. The yeah. characters are also great. I think Van Helsing was one of my favorites. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, he just he just knows everything, and then periodically like is too mean or is too crazy and is like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I just just crazy for a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh. With the exception of one or two of them, I'm thinking of like Quincy and Arthur. Everyone gets a lot of time to like tell their side of the story and so you feel like equally um, invested in all of them. But yeah, no, I was surprised by how much I like this book. I also went with a four mostly for the same reason. The second half did drag a little bit because once the like chase is on, it would alternate a chapter of like advancing the chase and then a chapter of being like, okay, let's step back and think about what we'll do next. Yeah, I agree. Like I got to the point where I had 40 pages left and I was like, oh, this is going to clip along. It's the last 40 pages. And then it was like, nope, nope. They're talking about trains again. Four stars. Dracula. Pleasantly surprised. Loving it. Nice. Dracula. 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 Um, Andrew, do you have any Dracul facts? Jacques. Yes, I do. Any Draculaim facts? (laughs) I'm really stoked to hear it. Oh, you monsters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bram Stoker. What do you guys think Bram Stoker's first name is? Primeval. Brahms. You're all wrong. It's Abraham. Oh. Yeah, it makes sense. His father was named Abraham as well, so he went by Brahm. Abraham Stoker was born on November 8th, 1847 in Dublin, Ireland. He couldn't attend school until the age of seven because of a mysterious illness that kept him bedridden. (gasps) Was he pale? He was losing (laughs) blood, and no one knew why there were two holes in his neck. (laughs) He recovered eventually and went on to attend Trinity College, where he graduated in 1870. Um, He married Florence Balcombe, who was also being pursued by Oscar Wilde, Stoker's friend from college. This caused some tension, and uh, Wilde and Stoker did reconcile before Wilde's death. I don't think Wilde was fully out of the closet, if that's what you're hesitating about. (laughs) Dylan and I were just winking at each other for a little bit. (laughs) After college, he became involved in the theater meeting actor Henry Irving and eventually moving to London to run Irving's Lyceum Theatre, as well as being Irving's personal assistant, basically, because he was running the theater and also assisting Irving, who would go on these like massive world tours. He traveled quite a bit through that. He ran the theater for 27 years um, and sort of because of that had a place in London high society, meeting a lot of people, was even sort of distantly related to Arthur Conan Doyle. So he's sort of Forrest Gump in it blah, here. Blah. His job took him around the world. As I said, um, he came several times to America, though he never traveled to Eastern Europe. So anyone who tells you otherwise... <laughs> Well, he, know, he knows not to go there. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, our fierce rival podcast, Lore, um, postulates. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One we day, love Lore and we are day. not your rival at all. Um, one day they will go down. Postulates in its first episode, which is called They Made a Tonic, that Stoker uh, might have gotten inspiration from one of these American tours from an instance of the New England vampire panic, which if you don't know about, we can't get into now, but is a fascinating subject. There's Stuff You Should Know episodes on it. There is obviously a lore episode about it. Check it out. It's wild and it's way more recent than you think. (laughs) Almost every fact online about this book is about something that inspired him and they can't all be true. Um, and because of that, I got frustrated because I was like making this list of all these things that people said inspired the book. And I was like, this can't all be true. And then I found one website that said, uh, and this website was called Ireland Before You Die, um, claims that he told his son Noel, um, who was his only child, that it was inspired by a nightmare after eating crab salad. 
So all you punks listing all the things that influenced him choose to believe it's just crab salad. He did visit Whitby Island, which is a which is featured in the book, as well as spending some time in Cruden Bay, Scotland, which are theorized to be inspiration for the book. Uh, he also put more than seven years of research into it. So it's possible that all these things are true. And here ends my frustration with people telling me what inspired the book. He went on to write many more novels, some horror, but uh, more often romance, as well as short stories and several works of nonfiction. He died on April 20th, 1912, and his ashes are stored in Golders Green Crematorium in London, which you can visit, but you have to have an escort because they're afraid of people digging up his grave or like uh, vandalizing his grave. Uh, The original typescript of Dracula was thought lost for a very long time, but it was found in a barn in Pennsylvania. It had the original title of The Undead, which is what the book was called almost throughout the entire time he was writing it up until the last minute where he changed the title. He didn't want to spoil it, probably. Yeah, probably not. There is an official sequel to this book written by Dacre, D-A-C-R-E, Stoker, um, Brahms' great-great-grandnephew, and Ian Holt. Um, called Dracula the Undead, as well as a prequel called Dracul, uh, which claims to be based on notes uh, of Stoker's pertaining to the 101 missing pages that there were from the original novel. There was apparently 101 pages that didn't make the final cut that no one has ever read. Interesting. Excellent facts. Good job. Yeah, excellent Thank facts. you. Yeah, there's a lot about him, so I figured I'd just throw a bunch at the wall and we could see what happened. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Andrew, do you have a game for us? Yes, I do. You guys ever make a game just based on a pun you think is fun? Yes. All right. So this game is called Undead or Alive. Mm. Get it? Because it's a pun on dead or alive. Undead or alive. Do you want me to explain it more? (laughs) Oh, I love it. I understand it completely. The way this game works is quite simple. I'm going to say the title of something, uh, which is either a movie centering around vampires or a short story from Clive Barker's Book of Blood. Ooh. The ones that I've read? Excellent. The ones that Toby's well, read, but we've learned in the past that that doesn't necessarily mean... No, it doesn't. It doesn't ha- I was going to say, Bailey, I wouldn't be nervous at all. I could not tell you one single title off the top of my head. Blood. <laughs> Every single chapter is called Blood. So this, so this is a story about a vampire or a short story from one of the books of Blood. Specifically a film about a vampire. Okay. Oh. Film. So some of these are quite easy because it's going to be speed related. So not okay. all of these are meant oh. to trick you. Some of them, I'm going to see if you just can get quickly. We're going to play to five correct answers. Do we call out or we go turn by turn? So you will call out. So it's about it's about speed of answering and anyone can answer any of them by just yelling either undead or a clive. Perfect. You guys ready? Yes. Ready. The inhuman condition. A clive. That is correct. Toby gets one point. The breed. Uh, uh, undead. Bailey gets that one. Bailey gets that one. <laughs> was too busy clothing. <laughs> was, like, too slow. The, the breed is a 2001 film featuring a helpful Lucy Westenra, who's a character from Dracula. She helps solve murders as a vampire. A girl walks home alone at night. Undead. That is correct. Bailey, it is a... Oh. Iranian vampire thriller. Oh, I know. There is that a one. great right. cat in that movie. And there's a great if cat in guys... that movie. It's supposed to be quite good, right? It's great. Yeah. The cat is great. How spoilers bleed. A Clive? That's I'm correct, dead. Bailey. Oh. Bailey no. is up to three. <laughs> <laughs> so again, we're proving if Toby knows things about it, it is I at his disadvantage. I can feel the vitality draining from me. Was it actually spoilers or you put it in that name to replace another name? That's how it's listed in the list oh, of okay. stories I found. All right. Now you've got me questioning everything. <laughs> Thirst. 
Alive. I was gonna say Undead. Yeah, Bailey is correct. Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was False Trail. Nope, it's a 1979 adaptation of the Elizabeth Bathory legend. Andrew warned us not to overthink it, and I overthunk it. You oh. did. All right, Bailey, you have four points. Toby has one. <sighs> I thought we were going to four. We're going, going to, to five. five. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and Toby's doing bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Book of Blood. A Clive. There you go, Toby. <laughs> yeah. Again, this game, unlike the other ones, is, is meant only for speed, so some of them are, are very easy. Only lovers left alive. A Clive. No, it's undead. Uh-oh. Bailey is correct. That is a <laughs> is very a recent Jim Jarmusch movie starring Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. Oh, yeah. I win! No. Bailey is a big winner. She, she is the queen of the vampires. Yeah. Lord of Night. Peter, you even got a Clive one right. <laughs> good game, Andrew. Good yeah, job. Good one. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wanted this one. I wanted it to be less of a question, and I figured Toby would read this, so I thought this was going to be real easy. But here you go. Oh, you, should, you should know by now. It's just speed. It's just speed. All right, well, now's the time in our podcast where Dylan spookily chooses books at random from our shelf. Listeners, you can't see this, but Dylan's head is turning around in a 360 degree fashion, and then a piece of paper (laughs) is being printed out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Toby. Oh, the way you say that. Maybe it's just the Halloween atmosphere, but I feel scared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after your lackluster book, we'll see how you enjoy number 20. East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Ooh. The scariest book in the world. Oh, she said John Steinbeck. Steinbeck. <laughs> um, I am very excited. I, this has been on my list for a long time. I have only ever read Of Mice and Men. I haven't even read Grapes of Wrath. The Pearl? Nope. The Moon is Down? The Red Pony? Travels with Charlie? Nope. My parents love that book, though. Hi, Mom and Dad. <laughs> and for Bailey, Just kidding. They don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and for Bailey, number 73, My Year of Rest and Relaxation by ooh, Otessa Moshfear. Mosfeg, I think. Mosfeg. I think so. The scariest book after East of Eden. Uh, I, I am psyched for this. this is, I love this book. This one should be a really quick read, too. I was just thinking about how I got a stack of 10 books at Christmas, and I don't think I've read any of them. <laughs> and this is one of them, so I'm very excited. It should be fun and quick. You read Sadie, Bailey. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you read Sadie. <laughs> Excellent. I'm uh, very excited. That sounds like a good episode. Oh, wait. I won't be on the rest and relaxation episode. Yeah, no. Sorry. No, I won't be on. I'm yeah. not going to come on. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, great. After this trouncing. <laughs> so next week we have a mini-sode. And then in two weeks I will be reading My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Atessa Mosvig. And Andrew's covering The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. The two spookiest books in the <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. And if you like what you heard, please go on to your podcast platform of choice and rate us five stars. Bailey made fun of us for trying to be clever last time, so I'm just here to be earnest with you. It would really help us out and help more people find the podcast. Take that, Bailey. 
Dracula. If you very much enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, a spooky friend, or a normal friend, because the best publicity is word of mouth. Word of bat. Our numbers are going to tank in Eastern Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books.